Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, what's happening, everybody? We have a brand new episode of Cross Up Phillies. Coming off of an up-and-down homestand, some positives, lots of negatives. They're 9-9, and and as Anthony and I get together here to record this episode, somehow, uh, despite all of the injuries and slow starts that the Phillies have seemed to have here, they wake up on Friday, April 23rd, tied with the New York Mets in first place in the NL East. And we talked about this division being a powerhouse. Fortunately for the Phillies, and I guess really fortunately for everybody in this division, there has not been one team that has really been able to distance itself out of the gate here. No, and that's the that's kind of the saving grace, right? I mean, if you look around baseball, you, you have a lot of teams that are like this. You know, you're just not pulling away early. Only a couple teams really having a great start to their season. So that's kind of the one thing you sit there and say, yeah, you know, there have been some things to get frustrated with with the Phillies, and I'm sure we're going to dive into individual things here, but in the grand scheme of things, they're not much different than anyone else at this point. And so therefore you kind of, you know, yeah, you wish they could have won a few of the games that they lost because they could have put, put themselves out in front and been a little bit of a front runner. But at the same time, you understand that, you know what, this is the way baseball is right now. And as long as they're not really, you know, plummeting to the bottom of the standings, and they're still hanging kind of around near the top of the division. You, you kind of accept it, you know, grit your teeth and bear it a little bit. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like we, here obviously have a hyper focus on the Phillies and you see all of their flaws and you see what's going well for them. And you kind of, you kind of judge them against this elite standard. But when you look around the sport right now, there are so many teams that have had or that have higher expectations than what's been placed upon the Phillies that are struggling. I mean, you look at a team like the White Sox, a lot of people like the White Sox this year. They're nine and nine, just like the Phillies are. I mean, you look at the Yankees, they're seven and 11 right now. They've been horrible. They're in the last, they're last in AL East right now. Um, I mean, you just go up and down the list. I mean, you have teams like Houston, you have teams like uh, the Angels, who people thought were going to take a step forward this year. They're all just kind of floating around 500. And then you certainly look over in the National League. And you see the Mets and the Braves and and the Nationals, three teams that people thought were going to be better than the Phillies. Again, just kind of all hovering around 500. And ironically, right now, the one team that everybody wrote off in the NL East is the only team to this point in the season that has a positive run differential in the Miami Marlins. Now, it's only plus one, but every other team in the division right now playing to a negative run differential, which is really, really interesting in what was considered to be coming in maybe one of the deepest and most talented divisions in baseball. It's early. It's three weeks into the season. I'm sure a month from now we won't be saying the same thing. But I think the uh, overarching idea here is, yes, the Phillies have struggled at times. Yes, there are concerns. But look around the league and every team's going through it. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, what is there, four teams in the National League that have winning records? At this point, one, two, three, four. And the Padres are 11 and 10. So, yeah, there's four, four teams that have a winning record out of 15. So it's not like, it, it's not like you know, the, the woes of the Phillies uh, are just the Phillies. It, it's everyone else. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird start to the season, Bob. And maybe, it's, maybe it has something to do with the fact that a lot of these players had to get back onto a different routine after a 60 game sprint last year um, and just getting back to that regular routine has kind of, you know, slowed things up a little bit. Plus you have situations like, uh, um, you know, teams, some teams are still have guys that are missing because of COVID and there's even games that have been canceled because of COVID. So there's some of these things are still kind of popping up here and there. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just weird. It's a weird season and and you want to get frustrated. um, But at the same time, you got to kind of temper that just a little bit. You know, I said to you before uh, we hopped on here, 
talking about kind of where this team's at and you go back to that first week and they're five and one and you know that they're not that good. You know that they're not going to sustain an elite level of play. They're not a 95 win team. And even the most optimistic Phillies fans, I think kind of knew that, but that first week was so exciting and you kind of go, maybe they can get out to that fast start. Maybe they can race ahead and kind of outplay themselves a little bit. And the last two weeks have been, sobering because it's not even that they're not you know playing 650 or 700 baseball it's that they just feel exactly like they felt the last few years where they're very top heavy they have a ton of warts underneath um and it's just sort of like it feels like a slog to watch this team you know i like just rewind over the last week and you go back to the beginning of the st louis uh, series they they get some help from the elements the cardinals kick the ball around they put up a big number in the opening game. You go, okay, here we go. They're going to build some momentum here. They go out Saturday and they get drilled. And then Sunday, it requires a Herculean effort from Aaron Nola to survive a two nothing win. And, and that was obviously a positive overall to see how well Nola pitched. You see that he still has the ability to go out and dominate opponents. You look at the numbers this season and back over the last three seasons, we could have the ACE conversation. I don't really want to right now. But you know he's one of the better pitchers in the NL, a guy that can take the ball and, and dominate on any given night. Great. You, you have some momentum off of that series finally. And then you get Gabe Kapler's Giants coming in. And I know they're 12-7. and seven. I know they have one of the best records in the National League right now. That team stinks. They, they are an atrocious team. Yeah. They cannot hit. They live and die by the home run. Their starting pitching has outperformed what it truly is. You got guys like Anthony DiScofani. Like, he stinks. Yeah. He's, he's been really good so far through four games. These guys are playing over their heads. And for that team to come into Philadelphia last week and win two out of three and almost pull up a sweep, you know, I got to say, like, yes, I'm smart enough to know the Phillies are in first place and they're 9-9, nine and nine and it's early and it's April and there's a lot of different things. They're banged up. The bullpen has COVID issues. Alvarado's out. Archie Bradley's out. That was bullshit this week. It was. It, it's funny because it, when you look at that series, Bob, they could have been swept and they could have just as easily have swept the Giants. That's how that's how bad the baseball was all around. That's my problem, though, with the Phillies. Like, do it. Sweep. Like, stop yeah. winning one, losing two, winning two, losing one. Like, they just cannot. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about three weeks. Like, you have to understand, it's not 20, 2021. It's, it's, it's the last three years. This is what this team does. Like, they put together a nice little spurt, and they can't sustain it. And I don't know if it's something intrinsically inside this clubhouse that they just can't drop the – I almost – oh, I almost went F-bomb there. Yeah. They just can't drop the hammer or what it is. But, like, they just – they just don't have this, like, killer instinct. And it's, like, time to see it, man. Yeah. Yeah, and that's 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 a, an important element that I think kind of gets lost sometimes in sports. You know, we talk about gamers. We talk about guys who are, you know, would run through a brick wall to win a game, you know, that kind of thing. And that's kind of an, an old school mentality in a lot of ways for, for professional sports these days. But at the same time, boy, could the Phillies use somebody like that? Could they use a leader like that? You know, I mean, Harper's Harper's having that kind of year and he's doing it. But nobody else is following suit. They need they, he needs a second person to kind of do the same thing he's doing. Yeah, and like it's I know that some of this stuff's like narrative driven, right? Like Aaron Nola goes out and is awesome on Sunday, so like you can't say like oh he didn't step up in a big spot or yeah. like Bryce Harper isn't that guy. Like he's an intense player. He's been ultra productive. I have some stats we'll read off about him later in the show. He's been great, you know. Yeah. And JT Romuto is is, is a hard nosed player. It's it's not that they on an individual basis don't have grit. Like I, I would never accuse those players of not having that grit. We're not, you know, we're suggesting that Reese Hoskins isn't tough or doesn't want to win, but like as a whole, for some reason, it just doesn't seem to stay, you know, sustain. And, and it's really, really, it's a strange thing, man. Let me, watch. let me throw this at you. You know, these teams that are really good always seem to have a spark plug. And a couple of years ago before, you know, even, before the uh, yeah two years ago before the injury Andrew McCutcheon was that spark plug in a lot of ways because of the way he was playing he's off to a really bad start this year uh, almost to the point where I've started to hear a couple people say should we be platooning in left field <laughs> um, do you think that that could be a big part of what's missing because if you have a guy like that who's got that 
that panache, that, you know, personality, being productive, getting on base, scoring runs, you know, firing the team up, you know, at the top of the order, if maybe he gets back to being himself, does that kind of just switch it? The other way. I mean, I think that would be a huge addition, a huge element to have, you know, just forget the numbers for a second. Your leadoff hitter is, is really struggled to this point, but just to have that particular player and, you know, the weight that he carries in the clubhouse and the way that people view him. And, and I think the way that he's so well-respected for that particular player to do it, I think would be huge. I do think there's something to be said for that. We get so wrapped up in the numbers and the data and the statistics, but I do think that there is something about, a certain personality fitting in into a clubhouse and that personality being like you said, that spark plug uh, spark plug type of player. And I, I know it's so lame and, and so provincial to like always be like, well, the 08 Phillies, but like, you know, Shane Victorino was that guy. Right. And like, right. you'd like to see that type of, that type of player in this lineup. And, and I don't, I don't think they have it at, at this point. And, you know, you can overcome that if you're just so talented. But, like, again, I, I look at this team, and, and what I've seen now is just you have – if you break this roster into thirds, you know, I, I know it doesn't work out mathematically perfectly that way, but they have eight or nine players on this roster that are, are really good. Mm-hmm. They have a handful of guys that are fine Major League Baseball players. But the tail end of this roster, it's just like – It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, when you have to when you have to play Andrew Knapp at second base, and I know he, uh, he, he, he and you he, know he did a nice job, but still, I mean, that's that's desperation, man. And I'll say they they've gotten lucky here uh, in recent days. Brad Miller starting to swing the bat a little bit. He had four hits on Wednesday. Nick Maton uh, against the Giants series again, only a couple games, but he really he swung the bat very well and you yeah have to be kind of encouraged by what you're seeing there especially when you consider that the lack of depth that they have anytime you get an encouraging performance like that from a young player I think that that's something that you can latch on to and say like ooh, okay you know maybe possibly we have something here Mickey Moniak had an absolutely dreadful start uh against the Cardinals in that first game against the Giants he gets the hit on Tuesday night, hits the three-run homer on Wednesday. And we talked about Mickey Moniak last week. I don't think he's ready for this. But I will say, and, and to the Phillies' credit, and, and maybe because their their hand is kind of forced, they're going to let him play here. Like, they're going to let him get right. at bats, which is what I think you have to do. Now that he's up, and I, I don't love the idea that they brought him up, but now that he's up, you've got to let him rip. You've got to let him see if he can figure his, his way through this, you know, a little bit of a rocky start here. And, and he started to kind of gain his footing a little bit in the back end of that giant series. And, and now you hope that he can kind of continue and build off of that. And if he can do that, obviously that's a huge thing for this team. Um, well, they're, going, they're going, they're going somewhere where you, any hitter can build confidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if you can't, if you can't build confidence in Colorado this weekend, you might as well forget it. Right? Yeah. And then they see Marquez tonight, who's a good pitcher and he's been off to a really good start this season. He was uh, excellent against the Mets the last time out, but the top half of the Phillies order uh, actually has had a pretty good deal of success against him. Uh, Hoskins, Harper, real Muto and McCutcheon, I believe are a combined 12 for 29 against him. So they, they should be in a position tonight, at least offensively based on their track record to have some success. Um, obviously on the, on the flip side of that, Vinny Velo, uh, Vinny Velo, uh, making his first start of the 2021 season, which I'm certainly excited about. I don't know about you, uh, but to be perfectly honest with you, given how bad Matt Moore was through three starts, and he's going through pro, uh, you know COVID protocols, and I, I don't want to make light of that. Certainly, I mean, hopefully he's okay, and and you know uh, he's you know feeling fine, or however he came in contact with it, those people are feeling fine. But I don't know that Vince Velasquez is a downgrade, frankly, uh, from, from what Matt Moore had been giving you over the you know first three starts. But the Phillies are probably going to have to score runs tonight if they want to win the series opener. Yes, you're right about, you're right about that. I, I don't have confidence that Velazquez can go more than – if he goes four innings, I'm excited. Yeah. I, I'm serious with, with that. Like I, I'd be happy with four. I, I was, I'm not convinced he can go more than three uh, or three and a third. So um, – so yeah, partly because he's not stretched out and partly because of ineffectiveness. Is that, is that like a blend of, of, is that the projection because of those two things? And that and the fact that he's no good. <laughs> I, I would sign up right now. Like, honestly, if you told me like, Hey, tonight Vince Velasquez is going to give you four innings and he's going to allow three runs. I'd say, yep. All right. 
Let's do it. Got a, shot, got, a, got a shot to win that game. That's the <laughs> expectation. That's kind of where the bar is set with, with him right now. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get too far ahead, you know, last week you said to me in this 13-game stretch that, that began with the Cardinals and, and mm-hmm. the Giants and now going out to Colorado and then four more with St. Louis uh, next week, you wanted to see the Phillies go eight and eight and five, I believe is what you I said. I said eight, okay. eight. I would be okay with eight. I'd rather nine. Yeah. Nine yeah. is going to be tough now. You yes, it is. require a uh, six and seven finish to that little 13 game stretch. So I don't know that that's going to happen. But, you know, the thing that I kind of am starting to take in, you know, we've talked, we talk a lot about the roster on this show and, and who's performing well and, and who's not. And, you know, I, I want to get to the good because there is some good here. There, in fact, there's a decent amount of good. But I want to kind of get away from the roster for a second and talk about someone that we have not really talked about at length on this show. And that's Joe Girardi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go back to our, our episodes in 2018, 2019, I mean, my God, 50, 60 percent of it was probably talked you know, uh, was probably focused on talking about Gabe Kapler and and the strategic decisions and the things that he did and said. We haven't really talked about Joe Girardi. And he comes, he's a World Series winner. He's won a lot of games with the Yankees. Everyone loves him. He's a good dude. Uh, I really like him. My interactions with him have been A+. I don't love some of the things I'm seeing from the manager. And I know that he's got some limitations with his roster and we can talk about those limitations, but man, I, for the first time this week in that giant series, especially on Tuesday night, I said, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. And I know you're probably going to, you know, going to point out to the Brogdon um, situation where it gives up the three run Homer leaves him in the game to give up two more hits and another three run homer. Um, and I agree. That was, that's a mistake. You cannot let that happen. I was, I was okay. And, you know, we, we talked about this briefly before the show. I was okay with him sticking with Brogdon past the first home run because he was limited with the bullpen. All he really had left was Naris. And he's thinking if we can just get through the inning, then I still have Hector to close the game. Um, but once he gives up the next two hits, you have to know at that point that he's got nothing at, at that point, you have to make the change. There's no doubt in my mind. And the fact that he stuck with his gut and hoped against hope. And here's a time where, you know, and I'm a, I'm a guy who believes in managing by feel you have to feel differently than, than that. You have to look at that and say, that's that, that pitcher can't do it. He doesn't have it tonight. He's been great for us, but he doesn't have it tonight. We got to go get our best bullpen guy that's out there and solve this. And, 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 and if it means that I have to rely on David Hale to close the game, so be it, right? I mean, whatever, whoever is available, right? But, you know, heck, you, we need Hector to come in and get this out right here, right now, and preserve this lead. And he didn't do it, and it cost the Phillies. Yeah, I, I didn't understand it. You know, if you watch the game and you watch that inning unfold – and Brogdon talked about it after the game. Like his best pitch is his changeup, right? Well, he didn't have his changeup on Tuesday night. And it was very obvious he didn't have his changeup on Tuesday night. And, you know, that's going to happen. Sometimes you have to you, – you don't have your best bullets. You, you got to make it work. Connor Brogdon's been awesome. I'm not going to fault Connor Brogdon for having a rough outing. You know, things happen. It's baseball. Gives up the three-run homer, though, and then for him to come back out right after that. And I see Girardi's point. Like, hey, listen, we got to try to get through this. I'm shorthanded. Let's see if he can navigate the inning and reset. Well, it becomes clearly apparent right away that right. he's not going to be able to do it. He gives up the base hit immediately. He's out of the game at that point for me, but fine. Stays in, faces Crawford, another hit. Like, I just don't know after the second hit. You can't. He's got to come out of it. He's got to come play. out. And I know he gets the next guy out before he gives up the second three-run bomb. Yeah. But after that, that, second, that second hit, it's like, all right, now, five of the first six batters he's faced in this inning have reached base. You know, at at what point do you go get him? And the the answer ended up being after a second three-run homer in which six of the first eight batters he faced in that inning had reached, you know, two of which were home runs. So you're talking about five hits and a walk before Girardi finally crawls out of the dugout to get him. And a game that you probably should have won or did enough to, you know, early on to to set yourself up to win, 
you don't win off of a game in which you went over eight with runners in scoring position and left nine guys on base or 11 guys. on base. And, and I'll, I'll tell you another thing that I didn't like what Girardi did in that game. Again, I, I, you know, he's shorthanded. I get it. But to me, it was obvious that Wheeler was starting to leak oil. Yeah. And he left him in probably a little longer than he should have. But again, he, you know, he's going to say, I didn't have, I didn't have the, you know, I was down three bullpen people. Uh, yeah, I was true. Really, like you, you do yeah. have to like, you know, it's the old Kevin Kincaid thing, right? Like yeah, two yeah. things can be true. Like, yeah. yes, I understand that he was shorthanded and I do understand that there's extenuating circumstances. He didn't have the full card there to go to. Right. But, but, <laughs> but you have to recognize it. Right. And you know, then, then Wheeler gives up another home run that if you pulled him, Maybe he doesn't give up. Maybe he doesn't give up that. Maybe you don't give up that run. And maybe you don't get Connor Brogdon into the trouble that you get into. You know, who knows, uh, you know, how it plays out at that point. And so, I'm sorry. Like, it, it's not a good look. I know that it doesn't matter. Every game matters the same in terms of, of who you're playing. And, and Gabe Kapler was in the opposite dugout. And this yeah. guy's having these, these moments. And I'm like, this is not a great look. And I'm not saying that Gabe Kapler is a better manager than Joe Girardi, although I do think you could make a – right now in 2021, I think you could make a – No, no, you can't make that argument. No. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. I will say I, I, I'm kind of just tweaking you here a little bit, but yeah. Giants are 12-7. and seven. He had a horrible team last year that hung around until the very end. Like, he's done a decent job out there. Like, he was – he wasn't for this city. The Phillies made the right decision to let him go. You know – it wasn't going to work here for a variety of reasons. He's been decent in San Francisco. Gabe will forever be a mediocre 500 manager. That's what he's always going to be because he, 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 he does some things well, but then he can't get out of his own way sometimes. And so what's going to end up happening is, is that sometimes when you manage things well, you're going to get the wins. And when you don't manage things well, it's going to end up in losses and it'll probably play out. I mean, he was the first manager, I think, in the history of baseball, we'll have an exactly 500 record after 200 games, <laughs> right? I mean, so so he's he's not been good, but he's not been terrible. He's just well, kind of been. Yeah, I mean, he's in the beginning yeah. of the second year out there. Like you said, they're 12 and seven, they, yeah. they top division. And if they can keep that going at some point, maybe people will say like, well, okay, you know? Yeah. And I think it's one of those things. It's not the Phillies made a mistake by moving on by any means, but I do yeah. think that it is possible. A guy that is as smart as he is, like, there's one, th- one thing you have to acknowledge, and I know that you kind of think he's a fraud and, like, puts on a show and all that stuff, but he's an intelligent guy. So you would think that an intelligent person that played the game, that's been around the sport, would be able to take some of his failures in one spot and, and say, okay, I still am going to stick to my core values and my beliefs, but what can I do differently? What can I learn? Well, and and you're, you so the thing of it is, Bob, is that you, you, you kind of nailed it the reason that it bothers me so much that Gabe Kapler bothers me so much is because he's an intelligent guy who tries to reinvent the wheel because he's intelligent. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of the same argument I made when we did that WIP breakdown of, you know, positives and negatives about each show. And when I gave the negative about Joe Giglio, it's like, it'd be different if he had these ridiculous hot takes and wasn't a smart guy. Like he's a smart guy giving you these ridiculous hot takes. Actually, they- and- I think Joe may be uh, the, the smartest host on. on the, you could say, you could say I, mean, I mean, I think he's a bright guy. I really do. But I think that I think that he knows that he's tweaking you. And so that to me, that that that's what bothers me. Like it insults my intelligence that you're tweaking me. You can have a conversation with me. You can have an opinion and we can have differing opinions, but don't insult my intelligence in the process. And I think that I think Gabe manages sometimes in a way that insults our intelligence. I don't want to turn a segment into the Joe Giglio (laughs) like a debate, but like, I don't know, like just like I wrote, I I saw what you wrote and I hear it, but, and I know that you love Carson Wentz and think that he's fantastic. Joe question that. I think it's at least, reasonable to suggest that Carson Wentz was not what people thought he was you know you can blame whoever you want to blame I blame the actual player but whatever I'm of the mindset and I'm not turning this into a Carson Wentz discussion (laughs) either but I'm of the mindset that when you have an opinion when you have a flash opinion about anyone player coach whatever that it's 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 a result of too short period of time to have such a flash opinion 
I think I'm of the mindset that I need more time to evaluate and to really take in what a person is and what they do. And like that, that's why I wasn't ready to kill the, you know, kill Kapler day one. We were frustrated. We were what, what the hell you pulling Aaron Nola, you know, you know, okay? we were frustrated, but I wasn't ready to kill him game one. It took two years of watching him manage baseball before I decided what I decided about him. And, and so like, you know, you want to make an argument for, for any player or for any coach, I I'd like to take more of a longer view. And I think that too often in, in this city, especially, we take too, too short of a view. And I think long-term, we're going to find out a lot of things about a lot of these players. We're going to find out a lot more about Carson Wentz and who's right and who's wrong. We're going to find out more about Gabe Kapler and who's right and who's wrong. Um, and Joe Girardi and who's right and who's wrong. Like we're going to find these things out, but it's going to take a lot more time. It's not something that we can determine off of one weekend series against the other team or you know one bad football season. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? You like talk about Gabe Kapler. And I think you can arrive – there's two different ways that you can arrive at the, I don't like Gabe Kapler point. And, and, you know, in fairness, and I think that certainly you're a, a good baseball mind and you looked at it for two years and you said, this guy is, is a fraud. He, he doesn't get it. It's, it just isn't going to work. And I think that you probably took a fair and measured approach to, to arrive there. Right. I, I kind of, and I don't know if this was just me sort of like naturally wanting to defend the opposite stance of what I saw around the city. But the thing that bothered me a lot about the, the criticism of Gabe Kapler was, was sort of tied into the idea that it was driven by the WIP morning show, like the worst sure. of the worst, like the, every cliche you could think of. Like people couldn't move on past one bad decision on opening day of the guy's first game. Like Aaron Nola being pulled in opening day or on opening day in uh, 20, uh, 2018, yeah. like that shouldn't have been the reason to bury Gabe Kapler forever or because the guy wore like aviator sunglasses or because like he took pictures shirtless because he's a health nut. Like people like just latched onto that shit right from the jump and their mind was made up and like he didn't help himself. He wasn't a great manager. The team had expectations. They didn't meet them. But the whole thing was screwed from the start, you know? And, and that you're, was, right. you're right about that. You're absolutely right about that. And so uh, you I mean, can like, look at Gabe Kapler and say, like, he's not a good manager. I don't believe in him. He won't be a good manager. And that's totally fair. And if that's how you feel, that's cool. But for me, I think a lot of people didn't give the guy and still don't. Like, they, they, they criticize him and they buried him for all the wrong reasons, for all the stupid, easy, cliche, lazy reasons if Philadelphia sports fans do stuff like that. Yeah, and the one thing the one thing that I will stick with on on Kapler is this. I think managing a baseball team, maybe more so than any other, and you know, you do this as a high school coach, um, so you, you gotta kind of get a feel for it, but think about over the course of 162 games plus all the time you spend together in spring training. A lot of managing baseball is more about what the way it operates off the field than it does on. Um, how you manage your players, how you manage their egos, how you deal with people in the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. And if you recall, I mean, there was the whole will they, won't they fire Gabe? And, you know, that dragged on far too long. But at least, you know, we know that Middleton went and he flew to Oklahoma and met with JT Romuto. And, you know, he talked to talked to Harper, he talked to his players. Like I give him credit at least. I mean, it was a it was a poor press conference and it was a terrible, you know, you know, <laughs> delay in how it was going. But I give him at least give him the credit that he consulted the players before he made the decision. And I'll tell you that if the players were overwhelmingly in favor of Gabe, Gabe would have stayed here as the coach, I think. I don't think that I don't think it was Middleton just, you know, crumbling under the pressure of the public. Um, But because there might have been a little bit of wavering there and then you have the public sentiment on top of it, I think that's probably what gives the ultimate decision. So if the players aren't necessarily on board with a way a guy's managing a team, if they're just kind of wishy-washy, but not saying he was a terrible guy, but if they're wishy-washy about it, that tells me enough that I need to know about how you manage a baseball team. Yeah, I don't think that he probably evoked a ton of confidence from that clubhouse. And I think so. Again, there was multiple layers to it. Was he great? No. Did he have, I think, the tools necessary to succeed in hindsight? No, he didn't. You know, and now it's going to be up to him to see whether or not he can adjust and adapt. Very similar, actually, to frankly, to Carson Wentz. I'm sure that that front office, that that ownership group talked to a lot of players in the locker room. What do you think about him as a leader? You know, what do you think about him as a player? And I bet you that the response was from some corners. Yeah, you know, Carson, you know, Carson can do it. And I think a lot of people said, like, there's just something off 
about this dynamic. And now it's going to be up to him in act two to kind of go out and figure it out and see if he can adjust. And, and that's all it is really, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's perfectly fine and perfectly fair, but there were just things that agitated me about the way that, that we talked about him, the way that we, you know, I, I think as a fan base, as a media kind of covered him. And I, you know, that, I think that I just found myself naturally wanting to, to kind of push back against that. But like, as you said, they go and they talk to the clubhouse. He probably didn't get that vote of confidence Middleton was looking for. And that's why I think ultimately it was the right decision to part ways with him, you know? Right. right. Yeah. And, and as it turns out, they eventually did the right thing and got rid of Clintac too. I mean, we, we screamed at the end of that season. That, that was the issue. Yeah. That we screamed the at the end of the season that it's not just Gabe. It's got to be both. Yeah. It's got to be both. If you're going to, if you're going to clean house, you got to clean house here. And it's, it's and not just the coach. They figured it out. Like, I think they got through the middle of last year and they knew. Like, I think they probably knew when they fired Gabe, but I think they got through the middle of last year at the ownership level, at the, the highest level, and, and said, yeah, we should have we did this. We should have made this move yep. before. Um, interestingly, though, that kind of brings us to our current manager, which is how we started this whole conversation. And, you know, I, I guess – so let me preface this entire thing by saying I believe that Joe Girardi is a good manager, I think, right? Like, yeah, I think he is. I'm not saying that he should be fired or that he's not, you know, he's incompetent or anything like that. Yeah. But I do think at some point it becomes fair to question some of the things that you're seeing here. You know, you talk about the, the 18 and 19 Phillies underachieving. And certainly, again, Joe Girardi found out what Gabe Kapler knew the, the two previous years. He had a flawed roster in 2020, and he has one now as well. But he is now... 78 games, 60 games last year, right? 18 this year, 78 games into his tenure with the Phillies. And he is six games below 500. You know, I mean, if you're going to hold, you know, certain guys to a high standard, at what point do we kind of say like, well, we need a little bit more out of the manager here. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. And I think that it's fair to criticize some of the things that have gone, that have taken place, uh, you know, with Girardi here. Um, uh, you know, I guess the one thing that we can't ever really quantify, um, you know, and I've dealt with this in hockey because the Flyers are, have kind of thrown it at us as an excuse for their poor play. But the one thing that we really can't quantify is how individuals have dealt with the pandemic. Yeah. Like we don't yeah. know, like we, we really don't know how these guys, you know, are, are they okay just being by themselves? You know, are what are they doing? You know, or how are they, how are they spending their time away from the field? Is it, is it affecting them mentally? Like we have no idea. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm sure, you know, the Phillies aren't going to share that information with, with us. So, so that's the one thing. It's the one caveat that I sit there and say, maybe Joe gets a little bit more of a pass because of that. But I think in game stuff, we can absolutely break down some in-game managerial decisions and sit there and say, yeah, Joe, you, you probably blew that one, you know? And I think, and I think that's fair at this point. It's really interesting that you bring that up. And if we could walk that back for a second, you talk about how each individual is handling the pandemic, what impact it's had on them, what impact it has on a certain cluster within a clubhouse. And I don't mean from like, did you get sick or not, but like right. just the overall mental part of it. And you could, you could probably say, well, it didn't affect the Dodgers or like it's not affecting the, you know, insert team off the, the Oakland A's right now, but it's, there's a human element to this. So mm -hmm. while one clubhouse may be unaffected or may not have guys that are dealing with certain issues, whether it's internal with family, with friends, another clubhouse might. And so Correct. it's not a level playing ground. It's not like, well, everyone has to deal with it. Well, that's not necessarily true. Like, I can, I'll use a, a more direct example, you know, like look around, like I coach a high school baseball team. I just, I'll just say this. I'm going to make a very blanket statement for privacy reasons, but certain teams around the area have been affected by this greatly. Uh, you know, in terms of shutdowns, not being shut down, certain teams have had players uh, with friends and family that have been affected by it. Other teams, maybe less so. And like, so it's not a level playing field. We're not all dealing with the same thing, right. you know? And, and I do think that that's a great point by you to say, like, when you're evaluating the, the morale and, and, and trying to get people locked in, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, another thing that I, you know, really didn't want to, I don't want to dive into people's individual beliefs and in, about getting vaccinated and stuff, but, you know, teams are not in, in all sports are not real forthcoming about 
how many of their players and coaches and stuff are getting the vaccine. And we do know, I think, wasn't it Hector Neris, who was the one guy who publicly came out and said he's not getting it? Yes. Like, how, how does that impact your locker room or your clubhouse? Like, does, does the clubhouse get look at him and say, or is everyone else vaccinated and not him? And they're, well, that's selfish, you know, and then they, there's a little bit of a rift there or are there more people like him or who knows? I mean, I'm not saying that there is. Yeah, I'm just, and I would just say, you know, in a standard major league clubhouse, if you have 26 rostered players, oh, I don't know. I would say that that divide is probably going to be pretty close to down the middle. Like, yeah. I don't know. And I'm not going to speculate about the Phillies, but if, if you – had a guess like you know people right and you say yeah. like that strikes me as somebody that would definitely be down to get the vaccine right and you say that's somebody that i don't think wants the vaccine like you you don't know that you could be wrong i right. probably have been wrong but like you kind of just like sort through things sure. and like yeah, I, I don't know so does that matter does that play a role I, I don't know when you get in the batter's box does that mean you struck out with two men on base like the, it's, it's hard to really know. It really right. is. Right. Yeah. I mean, the outside world does impact pro athletes more than I think anybody ever really thinks it does. Much more. And, mm-hmm. and I think, and, and I think that that's, that's a, so that's why I'm not ready to kill Joe on his overall record. But I think that, like I said, within specific games, if we want to sit there and I, and I, and highlight this decision versus that decision, I, I question it. Like, I, like, I'll tell you another thing that, that drives me nuts a little bit with him. Um, and I think that there's a time that it works and a time that it really doesn't. He's Mr. Double Switch. Oh, he loves the double switch. He loves the double switch. And, I, and I'm okay with it at times. While he can. He's getting yeah, it yeah. while he can. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm okay with the double switch in the sense that, you know what, if you're down in a game and you want the pitcher to stay in a little bit longer, um, you know, that, that's coming into the game and, and, you know, you want to make sure that you wait till he's the ninth person to bat. Okay, fine. But I think he does it at times where it really doesn't matter. Like you're going to have this, you're going to make this double switch and then the pitcher's only pitching in a third of an inning or two thirds of an inning. And then you're changing pitchers again. Why the hell did you make the double switch? You could have just pinch hit for him. Right. You know what I'm saying? And now you cost yourself by taking a player off the bench and putting him in the field and taking another player out of the game. You cost yourself a sub. And, you know, ultimately that's how Andrew Knapp ended up at second base because they were just out of subs. So I think that sometimes he goes a little bit too far with the double switching. There are times where it makes perfect sense, but I think there are times where I sit here and scratch my head like, Joe, what are you doing? You don't need to do that here. Yeah, there's been some talk, too, about the days off and and how he's he's sort of handled that in the early going. Like, I'm not going to crush a guy for that. And, you know, for the reason similar to what you just said. You don't know what an individual is dealing with. You might say, like, "Hey, Joe, like, listen, my, I'm, I'm a little tight down here today." Like, or you know, "Hey, I was going to give the, I was going to give him off on on Wednesday, but I'm going to go Tuesday because he came in and he expressed to me that he could use it." That like, you don't know. Right. So like, I'm not going to crush a guy, especially third week of the season, about you know how he's allocating off days and, and, and constructing lineups in that regard. You know, it's interesting though. We talked about the uh, the inning with Connor Brogdon on Tuesday night. But interestingly enough, you just you had alluded to it. And it was something that I, I thought kind of went overlooked, which was leaving Zach Wheeler in. Yeah. Once it kind of appeared that, you know, the, the wheels were, were starting to kind of uh, fall off for him a little bit. And it's interesting. One of the things I went back and dug up because he's done a great job with the Phillies of keeping the ball on the ground, keeping the ball in the yard. Now, check this out. Zach Wheeler's first 14 starts with the Phillies. He faced 363 batters. Uh-huh. He allowed four home runs. On Tuesday night against the Giants, he faced 24 batters. He allowed three home runs. And all three of those home runs came in a 10-batter span. So as a manager, I know you have to look at the score. You have to look at where they're at in their lineup. And you have to look at what you have in your bullpen. And granted, the Phillies pitched five innings. The bullpen pitched five innings on Monday night because this was a questionable decision. He elected to remove Chase Anderson, who was throwing the ball fairly well. I agree, yes. For innings in a 2 nothing game because he was that desperate for offense. And let's get to that in a second because I have a couple thoughts on that move. But now he has a strap bullpen. He should be saying to himself, Zach doesn't give up home runs. That's two. Uh-oh. You know? Right. Something's, something's not right. He doesn't have it. Yeah, but he was probably inclined to stick with them because, like we said, he was short because he he pulled Anderson after four. And that's an interesting move on a couple different levels. One, you know, you have a little bit of a a situation in your bullpen. 
And I know that you had your guys rested after Nola going nine on Sunday. So you felt like I have my, I have my guys. And I suppose the next night you're expecting Wheeler to go seven innings against a, a bad lineup. But to me, taking out an effective pitcher after four innings down two runs because you're that desperate is insane. And I actually think it reeks of desperation and sends a really bad message to your, your dugout, whether or not it's rooted in reality. And the reality is that this is a struggling lineup right now. I just thought that that was like a, I'm panicking. I'm all in like that to me was not a very well-grounded thought out decision. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you hundred percent because I, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who believes that a starting pitcher unless for some reason he's way over a pitch count or he's on a limited pitch count for some reason, should go at least five innings in a start if he's let up three runs or less. It really should. I mean, there's really no reason to pull a starting. You have enough at-bats left if he's pitching five. You're talking about you still have 12 outs in a game after the fifth inning. Like, if you really feel like you need to pull that guy and go to a shortened bullpen – just because you have you're you're down to 15 outs as opposed to 12 like i to me your lineup should be able to scratch out two runs you know i mean that's that's it's the way i look really, at it it's an interesting situation and i think an inning makes a huge difference if he did it in the fifth after five you're like all right well chase anderson hasn't gone more than five this yeah. year okay he does it in the sixth no problem at all with that right right Fourth inning? Yeah, no, it was, it was way know, too soon. Man. It was it was a weird and, move. And and Bob, and, and like you like you pointed out, by doing that, he taxes his own bullpen for Tuesday and Wednesday. And like you have to look at what you have in front of you, see your matchups, but you can't go off the assumption like, oh well, it's fine because I know my guy tomorrow is going to give me eight. Like you can't <laughs> do that. You can't like, do that. Exactly how it works. You know. Right. Right. So I just I didn't see the risk reward in that situation, and and frankly, if I'm the manager. Like you're, you're trying to do everything you can to win a game. Like ultimately at the end of the day, every decision you make is about trying to win the game in front of you. Correct. But to me, if you lose on Monday night, it's on the lineup. It's on the lineup that goes 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. It's on the lineup mm-hmm. that left, you know, 11 guys on base. It's on the lineup that had second and third with nobody out and couldn't get a run home. Like I, I can't. I can't do that. I can't yeah. put my team in that spot because my guys aren't getting it done. You know? I agree. I agree. I, I thought that was interesting. And I, and I know that this seems like a little bit nitpicky. I was getting ready to kind of get all worked up over Eflin coming out over 86 pitches on Wednesday. But when you really think about that, uh, that actually was something I was in agreement with, you know, after the fact. Zach Eflin, 86 pitches on a normal day is insane to pull him at that point, uh, considering what they had in the bullpen, which was not much. Right. But – you shut it down with a 43-minute rain delay. You can probably reasonably take a rain delay up to about 25 minutes without a guy having to throw to stay hot to keep him in the game. But you figure he throws a simulated inning anywhere between 15, 20 pitches to just kind of keep the rhythm of the up-down going. So you tack those on. He's over 100 pitches on the day. Um, you probably take a guy out in the third week of the season. Right. In, in a game. Right. If that's September and the game is for, and you're, you know, battling for a playoff spot, Zach Eflin's probably not getting pulled there. Yeah. Right. So it's just, I think that that's the timing of it. And I, and I agree with you. I don't, so I, don't I thought that, that was entirely reasonable, but yeah. you know, I guess why I'm, I'm a little bit salty today is just that not that they needed to make a statement against Gabe Kapler or any of that stuff, but this was just, I thought an opportunity that set up well for the Phillies to kind of, get their footing and, and rip off a few wins here, you know, and finish that homestand, maybe, you know, four and two, five and one's a, a big ask, but I think you, you finish that homestand four and two, and you're feeling pretty good about what you're saying after some stumbles in New York and Atlanta, but instead it's just the same old up, down, up, down, up, down. And now I have another opportunity in front of them this weekend. You know, tonight's going to be tough because you have Vince Velasquez on the mound, but the Rockies stink. Yeah. This is not, this is not a good team. I know that they've struggled at Coors Field. But this is a, a situation that they should be able to take advantage of. And frankly, you know, following that, going out to St. Louis this week for a four-game set, I think is another situation that they should be able to take advantage of. If the Phillies are good, if the Phillies are an 84-88 win team, you have to go out these next seven games, and you you better finish on the plus side of 500. Well, I think you need to win five. I, uh, yeah. like, I, I think five and two would be uh, finally like that statement where, that you're looking for. That yeah. Okay, look, they put together a really nice stretch on the road, which is something they, they have not done. They've not done since Joe Girardi's been here. Really going back now to 2018, they haven't had uh, much success on the road. 
this team, I think, like we talked earlier about having like the grit and like having that things come together and that X factor. This team with as many veterans as it has and guys that have been through the grind have to be talking to each other right now and saying, and I know that we as fans do this, like, as, and we as like media people, like we spin these storylines, like they need to get together and they need to, they need to say enough's enough about how bad we've been on the road. And like, maybe that's not realistic, but guess what, man? Like they do need to do that. Like they need to look at each other and be like, we're not good enough on the road. This is a thing. Like we know it. Everyone else knows it. Like it's time to be done with this. Like, and I know it's April, right? Like it's only April, but to me, at some point enough is enough. You have to kind of man up a little bit and go get it done against two teams that frankly aren't that good. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right, Bob. I mean, I, 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 I won't be happy with four and three. I really, I really won't because I, I look at Colorado and I think you got to sweep this team. I, I can't fathom losing a game out in Colorado. I'm getting, you know, and even if you do, then you got to say, okay, now we got to go out and win three out of four against St. Louis to make up for that loss. But, I mean, that's how I look at it. I look at it and say, you sweep Colorado, you split in St. Louis and you're happy with the trip. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's how I look at <laughs> for it. Sure. I mean, tomorrow you have Nola versus uh, Sensatella, who stinks. Yeah. Um, yes. And then you have Anderson and John Gray. And John Gray has been good. I mean, John Gray has been really good. And he's been good at Coors Field, too. Um, and that, you know, so you don't really have the pitching advantage in two of the three games. And that's the only reason why, even though I look at the Rockies and I say this team stinks, it's hard for me to ask for a sweep. But I think certainly Nola has to win his start. And you better split between the Anderson and Velasquez starts. Yeah. So I, I you know, it's funny. I, I've been, um, I, I, I sucked it up and I got the uh, uh, MLB package through Prime this year. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, I, I, a lot of late nights getting get to watch a lot of West Coast baseball. Right. And I, I <laughs> for some reason, I've watched a lot of the Rockies so mm-hmm. far this year. Well, they were playing the Dodgers. Okay. Right. So I was, I got to, you know, I wanted to watch the Dodgers a little bit. So I got to see a lot of the Rockies. They're terrible. I mean, they are real. They have no bullpen at all. Their bullpen is just, just the worst I've ever seen. Well, except for last year's Phillies. And then their lineup is they, nobody hits. I mean, you, got, you you know, you still got um, uh, Charlie Blackman. He's whatever. Okay, he's Story. Yeah, right. And it's Trevor Story. Um, and I think Ryan McMahon's off to a decent season for them. But beyond that, they got nothing. That lineup is, is terrible, top to bottom. There's so many holes in it. You, the Phillies should be able to pick this team apart without issue. And, again, that's why I can sit here and expect the sweep. If you go two out of three, I'm disappointed, but I know you can make it up against St. Louis. Okay, fine. But at the same time, I look at it and say, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to sweep this team. Now, do you give the Rockies – like so it's interesting. If you look at their team OPS, they're sitting, it's 684 right now, which isn't very good. It's 17th in all of baseball. And when you consider the fact that they play a course field, you say like, well, slot them down a little bit more. And in reality, that's probably like sitting in the, in the 20s somewhere. Yeah. Or do you give them a pass and you say, well, they have to deal with the Dodgers and they have to deal with, you know. I'll tell you what, in those Dodgers games I was, that I was watching, they actually scored some runs. Okay. They were down – the one game they were down, I want to say it was 8 nothing. And they came back. They put up a six-run inning on uh, on the Dodgers um, off of uh, Trevor Bauer. And then they, they pulled Bauer and they put in – I forget who came in to pitch in relief. And they hit a couple more home runs. And they actually made it – they made a game out of it. They, so they actually hit the Dodgers a little bit. I, I don't want to sit there and say that their numbers are bad because they played the Dodgers. I, I kind of agree, bad. only in that like they also played the Diamondbacks who aren't particularly good. They put up a bunch of runs against the Diamondbacks. And we were yeah. saying earlier in the show, like the Giants pitching isn't as good as it's been. Yeah. Well, a big part of that is you go back, they played each other uh, early on. And the let's take a look at these scores real quick. Giants three, Rockies one, Giants four, Rockies three, Giants four, Rockies zero. That's four runs in three in games. Three games. Yeah. Staff. So, you know, I mean, it's that set up where the Phillies are probably the, the better team. They have more top heavy talent and, you know, they should be able to figure it out. If they are the team that we think they can be or, you know, hope they can be or whatever. You know, I think that this is a series that they certainly ought to win. So, yes, you know, I, I think when you step back and you just kind of take a deep breath, some of the takes that we've had today, I think, are more about a, a larger sample, a multi-year sample of some of the things that we've seen and not so much about just three weeks here in the beginning of the 2021 season. But, you know, for the bad, there has been good. And the one thing that I we, we have to talk about before we shut it down here is is Bryce Harper. and. Yeah. Just really the the homestand that he had, he played in five of the six games. They gave him a day off. 
it seemed to really help. Um, you know, I, I think that that was important for him. It seems like he responded to a day off there uh, against the Cardinals. And he has been absolutely unbelievable, uh, so much so that he's basically worked himself into, you know, the early season MVP mix after a kind of a quiet start. So you go from the beginning of the homestand. He was hitting 231 after that Mets, that last Mets game, the Wednesday night game. I believe they were shut out. Wheeler pitched. So he was hitting 231 with a 798 OPS. He reaches base in 16 of 22 plate appearances over the homestand. He's hitting 357 with an 1118 OPS. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, he's been awesome. He was awesome in that series. I believe he was 11 for 17. Um, and what's amazing is that even with all of those numbers, I mean, you're talking about like top five in slugging, top five in on-base percentage, uh, top five in OPS. The average is up there. He's got eight RBIs this season. Yeah. He's got eight RBIs this season. Four of them are knocking in himself on home runs. I mean, yeah. that's wild. When well, that's that, that goes to show you that's McCutcheon's not producing, you know. And and, and Hoskins has been uneven. I mean, I'm we really yeah. happy with Hoskins' start, but I did see it, and I don't know what the what the span was, and I, I don't want to pretend that I do, but he went through, I believe, a 7-for-47 stretch recently. And if you yeah. pair that with what you're getting at the top of your order, that's that's tough, man. And especially, and, and frankly, not just at the top of the order, but any residual from the bottom of the order. You're not getting lingering base runners out of eight and nine either. So, yeah. you know, that's that's why the guy has eight RBIs right it, now. it makes me wonder that once Segura comes back from his injury, however long he's going to be out, if there isn't kind of a modification to the lineup to get him towards the top because he was hitting well and, you know, he, I mean, he's not a, he's not going to walk a lot, but he does put the ball in play. Yeah. He, he's, he's more of a prototype of a two hitter than a, than a one hitter, but um, might be worthwhile to give, give him a shot there and move Hoskins into the middle of the order and see what happens. Yeah. I would probably ride this thing out with McCutcheon for another week. Like I would give him the month of April. I think, yeah. I think that giving a guy a month is fair. I also am not ready to platoon him. My, my first move is get him out of one shift them down, take some of the pressure off six, seven. Yeah. Then see what happens. Give that another two weeks and then say, okay, you know, maybe, maybe, Hey, Brad Miller, go, go, go you know, go grab a glove and, and play left field, you yeah. know, against, against right. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe that's what you have to do, but I, I don't, I'm not there yet. I would, I would at least give this guy an, another three, four weeks to. I agree. Out. I agree. He's just too important. And, and I, I know he's slowing down a little bit here, but I, I don't believe that this is what he is. So. No, I agree. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a heck of an episode there, Bob. Yeah. We wrapped that up in under an hour. Under an hour. Covered a lot. Yeah. Talked about Carson Wentz and Gabe <laughs> We did a Phillies podcast and talked about Carson Wentz and Gabe Kapler. A little bit of that's, everything. That's good stuff, man. For you. Well, so we will be back, um, I would say, sometime late next week. I know we were aiming for the actual off day uh, last week when we talked about when we were going to record next, but I think the fact that we were here within 24 hours of that target is pretty good for us. Yeah. So we'll get back to it next week. I would imagine uh, post-Cardinal series, I think, would probably be a pretty good time to do it, uh, taking us into next weekend when I believe they have the Mets again. Is that right? Is I, it I think it's it's the Mets or the Braves. I forget which one it is. Uh, you get away from these guys. I'll pull it up. Okay, I'll pull it up real quick for you. Um, <laughs> really it's the Mets. No, you're right. It's 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 the it's the Mets next weekend and the Braves the following weekend. So get away from the NL East for like a month. I know. I know. Man. I know. And we still haven't seen the Marlins yet. So keep that in mind. Or the Nationals. Yeah. It's crazy. So. Absolutely crazy. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, for Bob Wankel or for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Uh, thank you for listening to Crossed Up. Make sure that you download, subscribe, rate, give us a good rating, all of that good stuff uh, wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to you soon.